Hey, and welcome to the Midweeks. We're starting a new book. We're going to be in the book of 1 Kings. We're going to do 1 and 2 Kings, Lord willing. Probably only take me a year. That's a joke, but it's probably true. Anyhow, um, I want to give a quick overview of the book of Kings. So the book of Kings starts with the very end of David's life and begins with the handing over of the rule of Israel to David's son Solomon. And then it goes all the way through to the exile when the kingdom of Judah is definitively defeated and the people are taken into exile in Babylon and it covers many hundreds of years. It's one of the books that covers the longest expanse of time in the Bible. It'd be comparable to a Genesis or uh, Judges that covers many generations in a book. Um, and it's trying to do a couple things. It's trying to answer the question, how did things go so wrong? Because the book starts with the nation of Israel reigning under David and Solomon, some of Israel's greatest kings. And it ends with the entire nation defeated. Israel, the northern kingdom is gone and the southern kingdom is in exile. And so there needs to be kind of like a theological explanation for how this happened. That's one of the points of the book. The other point of the book is to keep following the Davidic covenant. If you remember, um, God gave David a promise in the book of Samuel that one of his sons would reign on the throne of uh, Jerusalem or Israel forever. And so this book also needs to chronicle God's faithfulness in upholding uh, one of David's sons on a throne, which it does. And it also shows us again stories of faith because everybody's life is about their faith in God. And the kings of Israel and Judah will either live by faith or not by faith. And this book does have an evaluative framework. What I mean by that is it doesn't, they evaluate king's faith by how much they're like David or how much they keep the law of Moses. This is how kings show their faith in this book is they act like David and or they follow the law of Moses or the book of Moses. So um, that's some overview. And I like to think about how books are structured and looking at all of First and Second Kings together. One way you could look at this book is that it starts off with stories about the united one kingdom under Solomon. And then at the death of Solomon, it goes to two kingdoms, north and south. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is typically called Judah. And then you have the stories of the two prophets, Elijah followed by Elisha which are the center of the book and are really the core of the book. Because one of the main messages of the book is that God reigns over his people through the prophets during the age of the kings. And we're going to see that lots, that, that even though the kings are ruling over Israel or Judah, it's actually the prophets that are reigning over the kings as God's messengers from heaven. Anyhow, one kingdom under Solomon two kingdoms divided, then the two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, then more stories about the two kingdoms, and then Israel is defeated and taken away into permanent exile, and then the book ends with stories of one kingdom, which is just the kingdom of Judah, before it's defeated. And then the story ends with um, the king of Judah in Babylon. So that's how we could see it uh, as kind of like one of these chiastic structures where you have a repeat where it goes uh, one kingdom, two kingdoms, prophet, and then goes backwards. Prophet, two kingdoms, one kingdom. But it's also on this trajectory of going from the high point of 
uh, the rule of Solomon over united Israel, which is the high point in Israel's history. That's when they're the most influential. That's when they're most wealthy. And then going all the way down to being exiled under a foreign empire in Babylon. So those are some ways of seeing the book from an overview. But we're going to start in chapter 1. And this is the story of how Solomon became the king in the midst of a crisis. And so let's read, starting in verse 1. Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be brought to my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service, and let her lie in his arms, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. So we're reintroduced to David. He's at the end of his life, the end of his strength, and really this introduction is meant to show that David has become quite weak. He's old, he's advanced in years, and he can't keep himself warm, so his body is failing him. And he has this beautiful young woman brought to him to serve him and she can lie in bed with him but he doesn't know her meaning that his you know his physical potency is over so as a man he's aged out um and so this is i think meant to be seen in contrast of david's potency with uh, his many wives before uh remember his like uncontrollable lust that he had with Bathsheba it's probably a little bit of a reminder as well of the story of Amnon and how his sister came to um, his sister came to wait on him that would be Tamar and what happened there where he raped Tamar so we have a similar situation here where a young beautiful woman is brought to the king's room but he can't do anything to her um, even though she's so beautiful and so this is just meant to be a picture of David's advancement in year and his lack of potency as a king and uh, of course Abishag is going to show up later in this story as someone among whom like politics is engaged over Verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. This reminds us of Absalom. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? And he was also a very handsome man and was born next to Absalom. So here we have this uh, introduction to Adonijah. Uh, We're told that he exalted himself, which is not a good thing, meaning he chose by himself to be king. We see David's weakness again, that he doesn't stop this, and that we're told that he's a handsome man and born next to Absalom is meant to associate him with Absalom in our minds. This is not a good thing, what's happening. Verse 7, he conferred with Joab the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Okay, so there's a division happening already, and now this divided kingdom theme is going to be an issue going on in the book, and we're seeing roots of it being ready to happen even when David isn't even dead yet. Verse 9, Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel, and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. 
Now notice there that Solomon is added to kind of the list of people we've kind of heard before, people who weren't invited, but now Solomon is added. And so this is the glaring point here. Solomon is not invited with the king's brother to the party. So this is where a division has come. How come Solomon isn't invited? What's going on here? And we're going to find out why um, Solomon wasn't invited and Adonijah is not inviting certain people here and why it's him exalting himself. He's exalting himself because there's already been talk that Solomon was going to take over. And so that's why he's exalting himself and that's why he's excluding Solomon. Most likely he wants to establish a power base and then he's going to execute Solomon who had already been talked about being uh, the one who would rule in David's place. And if you remember from Samuel, um, Solomon was renamed Jedediah because he was beloved of the Lord, which most likely meant that people knew that he was going to reign in David's place because there's this prophetic word about him being specifically loved by the Lord, which most likely meant, in part, that God had chosen him to be king next. Verse 11, Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Now therefore come, let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Okay, so Nathan understands that this is a bit of a coup and everyone not invited to the party is, it's a pretty much a death sentence and they need to act now. Verse 13, go in at once to King David and say to him, did you not my lord the king swear to your servant saying Solomon your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So we're meeting Bathsheba again, and she has not done much since um, we met her in, in uh, this book of Samuel and all the uh, catastrophe happened with her. Um, we haven't really heard from her since she gave birth to Solomon, but now she's going to become an important part of this establishing of Solomon in his reign. Nathan the prophet is going to her as um, the king's wife and saying, like, you need to be part of the action here. And this is the most activity we see out of Bathsheba in the entire book, I think, and the best activity we see out of her. But she's also still acting kind of at this prophetic prompting. Verse 15, so Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Okay, so here's an interesting little note about how these stories tell themselves. So we get, we're told that Bathsheba enters into the king's chamber, and then we're told about the king's age and that Abishag is there. And very likely, we're kind of seeing the story through Bathsheba's eyes right there. She walks into the room, and she is struck by just how old David is. Now, as a royal bride or royal consort, she might not see the king very often. But when she goes to see him, she's just like thinking to herself, dang, he's old. And then she also notices Abishag, the Shunammite there with the king, and perhaps is remembering when she was young and beautiful, or when she was the one in the king's presence there, but she's noticing this change. And I think we're meant to feel the passage of time through this. Bathsheba, we're reminded, is not a young woman anymore. Same way the king is not a young man anymore. The only one who's young here is Abishag, and it's a sign of the passage of time and that things have changed and are changing. Verse 16, Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord, the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fat, and cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king. 
Abiathar the priest, Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant he has not invited. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. So this is a great speech. It's full of wisdom. It's impactful. And she's completely right. So the fact that she's repeating information we've already been told confirms her trustworthiness as a uh, person giving speech here. And so this is like one of her high points, if not the high point of her in the book, that she delivers this compelling speech to the king, including underlining the fact that their lives are in danger. Not only did she promise, or did Solomon get a promise, but their lives are in danger. Now I've noticed some commentators before have questioned whether or not David actually said this, and they're wondering if they're placing this idea in David's mind here, saying, you told us Solomon would be king, but David hadn't said this, and maybe they're taking advantage of an old man. But I don't think that's true. Because Solomon wasn't invited before, there must have been some talk that Solomon would be king. Maybe it was a while ago, but uh, I think they're actually telling the truth when they say that David had promised this before. Verse 22, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. They told the king, here's Nathan the prophet, and he came in before the king, and he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. So we're being told here about the respectfulness. They're still honoring the king. This should be in contrast to uh, uh, Adonijah, who has declared himself king without permission from David. So these are the respectful ones. These are the humble ones. Verse 24, And Nathan, my lord, said, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day, and he sacrificed oxen, fat and cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, and the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. Behold, they are eating and drinking before him, and saying, Long live King Adonijah. But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, has n- he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king? And have you not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Okay, so... Uh, Nathan is being the second witness, right? The word of God says that every matter should be established by two or three witnesses. And so they're being the first and second witnesses together. And they're both giving the message that David, somebody has anointed themselves king and they're throwing a royal party. And Bathsheba says, hey, you made a promise. And Nathan's a little bit less forceful forceful, and he's saying, hey, was this your idea? Why didn't you tell us? But they're both together making it that David can't ignore this situation anymore and has to make a decision about it. And he does. Verse 28. Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. Now, we weren't told that she left, but it makes sense that when uh, Nathan came in, she would have been excused. So now she's being called back in. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord the king live forever. So David decides he's going to fulfill his promise today. Um, there is some irony with Bathsheba saying, May my lord King David live forever, because he won't. In fact, this whole problem is arising from the fact that he doesn't, that earthly kings don't live forever. The only king of Israel that does live forever is the Lord Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, and there'll never be any other king for Israel because he will reign forever on the throne of his father David. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benai the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. 
And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and go down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. He shall then come up after him. He shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. Awesome. So David gives him this command to go make uh, Solomon king. He initiates a co-regency, what it's called, so that David and Solomon would both be kings at the same time. Um, this would happen every once in a while, especially when a king would be older and wouldn't be able to like lead battles and stuff like this. They would often anoint his son king as well, so he would go and do the action parts of being a king if the older king was sick. And so Solomon's going to be launched into a co-regency with these leaders of the kingdom, and everybody's excited about this. Verse 38, so Zadok the priest, peace, priest, excuse me, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and Pelethites went down, and Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpet, and all the people said longly, King Solomon, all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Awesome. So they went and did it in obedience to the king. That's why you hear that repetition. And it's a good deal. And the people, you probably meaning that like the people of the land went and rejoiced with the party. So they really realized they've been invited to the real party, not to the like party of elites that Adonijah was hosting. He was doing his thing with the elites. Solomon did his thing with the people. Verse 41. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. So we're going to switch to the scene here. And the Bible often does this. They go from one scene to the next scene, and they give the passage of time just by jumping scenes. And so we we have the party breaking out with Solomon. And all of a sudden, the people can hear all these people cheering at Adonijah's party. They're finishing their feasts. Hey, we've done a great job anointing a king here. And then they hear a great party breaking out somewhere else. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar in this city mean? And while he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came and Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man, and bring good news. This probably reminds us of when messengers went to King David after Absalom was killed, and David saw that one guy and said, He's a good guy, he brings good news, but he didn't bring good news. But it would remind us of Absalom's downfall at the end of Second Samuel, because Adonijah is about to have a downfall. <clears throat> Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our lord King David has made Solomon king, and the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and Pelethites, and they made him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they've gone up from their rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on his bed. The king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. So now it's a done deal. Solomon has been made officially king, and people are even uh, congratulating the king on it, and the king is blessing this day. So 
the report here, and you have all this repetition to prove that these are faithful reports. The report here is now Solomon's king, and something's gone very wrong for Adonijah's plan. Verse 49, and we're getting close to the end. Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, each his, went his own way, and burned the photographs and smashed their phones and hoped there was no record of them ever being there. That's not in the Bible, but you can. they just were like, oh, we've made a mistake. Uh, let's pretend we were never here. Verse 50, Adonijah feared Solomon, and he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. So he went to the, the temple or the tabernacle, sorry, the tabernacle, and is looking for mercy. Then was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon, for behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. So this is a bit of a turnaround, because the fact that Adonijah didn't invite Solomon indicated that Adonijah probably would have put Solomon to death. They were probably right in assuming that. And now Adonijah is afraid, and he's assuming Solomon will do the same thing to him that he was intending to do. So his own heart... Uh, betrays him here and he's looking for assurances verse 52 and Solomon said if he will show himself a worthy man not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth but if wickedness is found in him he shall die so this is Solomon's first speech as king and you see kind of the wisdom coming out right there he doesn't give a yes or no answer he doesn't say no nothing bad's going to happen to you he says if you're a worthy man you'll be fine if you're not there'll be trouble and so he gives this like wisdom speech. This is his first speech in the book, excuse me, and I think ever. And it's already showing this kind of like proverbialness about him. If you're good, it'll be good. If you're bad, it'll be bad. This sounds like a proverb from the book of Proverbs. Verse 53, so King Solomon sent and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. So there's the clemency. You know, you can go to your house. You're not going to get punished today. And that's the end of the first chapter. And that's the beginning of the book of Kings. It's the first king after David is established. And it's Solomon. It wasn't going to be him for a bit. Already we have this tension of somebody trying to assume the throne of uh, Judah all by themselves. And this is going to be one of the things that comes up in the book over and over. Is, is people trying to make themselves king instead of God making them king. And the necessity of people becoming king by faith and by God's choice, and not by human effort. And in this case, God's will that Solomon would be king comes about through Nathan and Bathsheba going to the king and uh, with honor bringing about the will of the king and of God through their humility and honest speech instead of through Adonijah's uh, political gains. And they bring about Solomon becoming king and he's established on the throne. Sorry, he's placed on the throne. The next few chapters are going to be about Solomon becoming established on the throne and dealing with threats to his kingdom. All right, thanks very much. It's great to start a new book with you and I hope you're blessed.